My name is Dr. Lindsay Wisner. I'm a psychologist, author, a mom, and still an occasional shit show. You're listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. This is a place for smart, sweary women to talk about stuff that matters, stuff that can make us uncomfortable, but stuff that helps us to learn and grow and be okay with living in that discomfort of not knowing the right thing to say or do all the time. Thanks for listening. You can also find me on Instagram at psychshrinkmom or at neuroticnourishment. Eloise of at eloise.life is uh, my new hero. She is the person that has made me think the most in the last few months of podcasting. And I mean no disrespect to all the other amazing people that I have had the honor of speaking to. Uh, When Eloise was in her 20s, she hit rock bottom. She suddenly realized that everything she thought she knew about her life, her family, her family's history of mental health, was all a bunch of lies. Eloise realized that her own mother had attempted to take her life several times, and she even had her own dark time, which she shares with us. And now, she's fucking brilliant. I'm sorry, Eloise. Uh, You should follow her at Eloise.life or look into her uh, Dharma Academy, uh, where she teaches you some really important messages, namely how to, you know, get clean from the things that are holding you back, how to walk away from whatever it is you're abusing, whether that be sex, alcohol, drugs. And most importantly, at least for me, what she taught me was that sometimes your mess is your message. Sometimes the family that you were born into, that mess that you can resent or... um, you know, lament or even feel sorry for yourself for being born into it. Sometimes that is the very reason you were born into this world. I adore Eloise and plan on stalking her for the rest of my life. Um, So please have a listen to this message. And if it touches you the way it touches me, and dear God, I hope it does, be sure to check out Eloise at uh, Eloise. Dot life and also look into that Dharma Academy because if I were closer to her, trust me, I would be right there signed up for this sort of cult. It's not a cult, but it's funny when I call it a cult and Eloise laughs. Please have a listen and enjoy. I have to just say, I think you're really wonderful. I think you're brilliant. You're, Aww. I, like you. I like you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you make me laugh, but I like the way you're very straight talking as well. I like resonating uh, with you. I am super straightforward. Um, I like that. I'm oh, empty, good. Me too. But with a bit yeah. more British diplomacy, I think. <laughs> well, I think you can get away with more with the accent. Oh, absolutely. I've got yeah. away with murder. <laughs> See, oh, and you're adorable too, so that too. Um, so let's say hi, Eloise. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk about this very important discussion. And um, we're going to talk about suicide and mental health. And all yes, we are fun, light things, <laughs> and so, we're gonna have fun doing it, aren't we? Lindsay? We are, and we'll probably drop some f bombs along the way because we should. Um, so let's talk about it. Where do we even start? You've got a great, a great story in terms of uh, a, a triumph at the end, and then a horrible story in terms of <laughs> you having to go through this. So, so shall I introduce you? myself, please? <laughs> Um, my name is Aloise Surfleet Middleton, and I'm a transformational teacher and coach. And I have a program called the Dharma Life Program, Dharma Life Academy, I should say. And I have a podcast as well called the Dharma Life Podcast. And I am all about people creating their dream lives. How that is connected to mental health and how that is connected to us talking is the fact that for the first well, I would say from about 22 to 20, 28, I suffered with really bad chronic mental health issues. Can you um, um, ha- ha- 
So give us an idea of what elaborate. <laughs> yeah. So, by the way, the, um, the listeners will, I will do a bio intro before, but I love listening to the sound of your voice. So you can, <laughs> the Britishness. <laughs> it's such Britishness. Um, so uh, yeah. What happened at 22 and, you know, uh, share how bad it is because um, there's someone out there that needs to know they're not the only one, you know? Absolutely. Well, as you correctly uh said i'm british and <laughs> we we have a stiff upper lip you know it's very it's like a joke about the british but it's true and I, it happens in a lot of cultures it's not just the british but we are particularly bad at expressing our emotions we are particularly bad at speaking our minds we are not very good at saying it like it is now in my family how that manifested and how that showed up was we don't talk about our emotions we don't cry we certainly don't show any emotion because that would be viewed as deep or deemed as weak. Mm. So we just carry on regardless and pretend that nothing's happening. Well, that works. That's a very effective way of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it works to a certain point until yes. you have a nervous breakdown. Right, right. Right. <laughs> right. And I, you know, I laugh now and it's a serious matter. But um, so in my family, there were generations and generations of mental health issues. So I know for a fact I have had one male cousin kill himself. I had my grandmother was in and out of asylums and was on lithium. Um, she was diagnosed as bipolar. My mum had postnatal depression and depression. She had it twice with me and my sister. And then she had depression when she hit menopause mm. and she had tried to kill herself one, two, three. well, oh my God, isn't that terrible? I can't even, I don't even know four times that I know of. Guess what? I don't know the exact number for my parents either because it, it's, it's blurry and there's excuses for all of them, you know? Absolutely. And I think, you know, what you've correctly hit upon there is that that generation, and I'm not criticizing what this generation because I, I believe that everybody always acts in the, the way they see fit and, this is why we're breaking the stigma. Right, <laughs> right. We're trying, <laughs> if we're allowed, yeah. um, of speaking our truth. Because in my parents' generation, that was really, really the, not the done thing to speak about what was happening. Right. So um, my family never told me that there was a history of mental health issues in our family. That was going so, to be my question because you just, you know, you just reported something extensive and I guess nowadays when you go to a doctor, they'll, they'll ask you, you know, these questions, mm -hmm. but certainly not when we were younger growing up and it never no. would have occurred to us. Or... So 22, I went to work in the city. Um, so I went to work in Big Bag London and my boss at the time, you know, it was kind of classic sort of cheesy story you know I was a top performer in the business I did really well what was the and business my, it was a recruitment business a, um, a recruitment business what does that mean um, it's not an American thing really uh, we in England there's a big industry about helping people find jobs oh no okay we have that yeah it's a uh, what do you call it that's a really good question damn it my human brain. human capital was another expression for it, <laughs> that, it that's funny i've never heard that um no they're recruiters they're recruiters that, i okay. think that's the same word but i just um yeah uh it's i don't know you're right it's not as successful in america how about that sure yeah it's not as bigger industry but long story short i basically ended up having a relationship with a man who was engaged to be married to another woman better Had than strong. another man at least yeah, strong feelings, <laughs> strong feelings for this guy. But I also, Lindsay, hated myself because it was wrong. Sure. Um, I've been brought up in a quite a sort of black and white, you know, this is right, this is wrong. That coupled with don't show your emotions, that coupled with don't express anything. Essentially, what happened was I didn't tell anybody, you know, but I, I kind of had this stuff going round and round and round and round in my head. Um, and obviously, I didn't cry. I didn't talk to anybody and I just held it all in to the point where I just cracked right um you know and I think at this point what I'd love to share is in what I've understood now which is it's taken me years actually because from when I from having the nervous breakdown at 22 I then went to the doctor I got antidepressants I was on those for about six months 
but they, again, they made me feel even worse than I did. So I came off those, but then I used to spend, I suppose what I did was I used drugs and alcohol to distract myself from sure. how I was feeling. Um, what was the, can you tell us about the, like, uh, so nervous breakdown, if you were my patient, I'd yell at you for using that word because, uh, I don't know, you know, like I, I, it's, um, well, first of all, it's stigmatizing, but that's not why I'd yell at you. It would be because I don't like, I want to see, feel, understand it. Um, what happened, like what happened that that was the turning point. And by the way, I don't think any affairs happen one-sidedly. Yes, and exactly. But also, like, I think that there's, I think that um, relationships are either open, there's either a door that's open for a partner to have an affair or a door that's closed, you know, so um, obviously, I'm sure you, you played your part, he played his part, and I'm sure the relationship was not, was was open for destruction, so to speak. Um, oh, absolutely. And, you know, in hindsight, it's a wonderful thing. I don't look at it like that at all right. Good. now. Um, but at that point in my emotional development and my paradigm at that point, sure. bearing in mind my paradigm had been shaped by my parents, right? you know, was very black and white thinking. Um, but in answer to your question, what happened? Um, I suppose in the run up to the, what I would call breakdown, um, I was very disconnected. I couldn't feel, I wasn't emotionally able to be present with people. You know, even if I was in a conversation with you, with you like this, I was up here floating, okay. not really with us. Um, and I'd experienced that getting worse and worse and worse. And I was literally, I felt like I was sending myself a little bit insane with the thoughts that were running through my head. And, and then I, um, bearing in mind, I hadn't cried. I hadn't expressed any emotion around this situation. I had just been thinking about it, you know. Um, when I say I had a nervous breakdown, I was driving a car and I remember literally my body kind of shaking and yeah. me having to pull over because it was kind of convulsing. Yeah. Um, and I remember phoning my mom and just at that point I did crack in the sense of everything, you know, stuff started to come out, emotions started to come out and I was, um, started to sort of talk about it. Sure. Um, um, it and then almost like the, see the only reason I, okay, we were just joking around before about how words take away from the bigger picture. So I'm not really criticizing your use of that, but like, it sounds almost like that. So when you cracked all the bad shit put, poured out but it was also the beginning i guess of a release you know oh. yeah well you know we we do break down to break through yes. um I, I, the thing for me was is, is i went to the doctor and i got no real help and i ended in getting counseling or anything so yeah. actually i didn't really understand i didn't really i didn't i did i don't think i it was like a good breakthrough. A good, it was a release, definitely, but it didn't help me because right. I still didn't get it and I didn't understand it. And I still, you know, continued then for the next seven years to seven feel, years. Wow. yeah, to feel that way intermittently. And then, of course, I think, you know, alcohol is a depressant. You know, drugs, as we know, are not a good idea. Full stop. And they exasperate how you're feeling. You know, in the moment, you might feel, you know, oh, I feel okay because I can forget about my worries. But they're going to make everything ten times worse afterwards. And so, I was in this cycle of self-hate and abuse. And um, I, I was in this cycle of everyone I knew drank or sure. went out and partied. How old were you? Um, oh, if 22 I, to 28, right? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that age, that age, you kind of really want to be with your friends and you want to feel connected and you want to feel part of a friendship group and you want to feel part of something bigger. The problem was when I drank, I would get, I would go a bit bonkers with it all. So I'd kind of let loose a bit too much, you know, um, and sure. quite often I wouldn't remember getting home or, you know, I wouldn't remember my night out or, you know, I'd wake up with cuts and bruises and scrapes and, you know, I wasn't drinking responsibly put it sure. that way um and so yeah moving on to about the age of 28 is when i had my what i would call a spiritual awakening um and what happened there was i was told by my family that my mum was suffering with very bad depression again she had hit menopause and so wait, and during this happened. time period your like your parents never said nobody knew 
No, but your mom never came. I remember I have a vague memory of at my 21st birthday, my great aunt saying something about our family history. Okay. And me like, again, at that point, I was still, I was already at that point drinking not very responsibly and me getting really angry and upset because I'd heard something, but I still, still nothing was out in the open. Right. And when you were, you know, you call, so you, your mom was your call when you had your, you know, quote, mental breakdown and she didn't share anything or. No. Um, and then what happened? I do, did have some counseling over that period of time, but the counselor like, was awful. If I'm honest, like I remember her feeling told off because obviously I was drinking and everything. And sure. I remember her, I remember feeling really quite told off like a child. And I thought, I'm not, you know, you're not helping me. Why did <laughs> so, she focus on telling you not to drink? Yeah, I kind of just remember, it's a long time ago now, but yeah. I just remember not feeling very supported by the whole experience. And it, it, it you know, it was work paid for that. Um, oh, okay. So um, I didn't have to tell my work. It was kind of an employee assistance program, but um, it didn't do, it didn't do any good, put it that way. It's interesting um, because I, you know, we, I work, when I work with suicidal teens, um, it's the weed, like they're all, use, you know, like now that um, they're all using weed in these ways, you know, marijuana in these ways that I, I don't even, I don't actually conceptually understand it because when I was young, we just rolled joints or someone else rolled you a joint or, you know, like whatever. But so I often, I have this issue with my teens when they come in and they're really suicidal and they're, you know, um, but, and they smoke you know, however often mm. they, all, they all say they do it at night to sleep. I'm sure it's more than that. But my, my first thought is usually if let's not take that away before we put something else in place, you know, like it takes me a while. Um, I need them to start feeling better before I criticize, you know, or um, talk about reducing their. You've got to gain the trust to get them to yeah. open up. That's, and, and that right. wasn't and, my experience. And also <laughs> give them like another support system. Like I'm not going to take away their one, you know, uh, granted it's fake and it's a fake support system, but I'm not going to take that away without putting something else in, in its place to mm. you know, bolster it. But so I, I wonder, I mean, who knows looking back what you're, therapist's um, intent was or if she was scared for your life I don't know mm. Mm. I don't know either um, but it, you know it, it, it didn't really help yeah. um, <laughs> um, and you know I kind of this kind of got worse so I, like I had a cocaine problem um, and that was like used to be kind of a one-off thing every now and again and of course that grew and grew and grew and it grew sure. every single time I went out I had it and then I would be, you know, cleaning my flat, or, you know, off my head because it was like quite fun. I'll have a couple of drinks and clean my house. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this got quite, quite, you know, out of control, not healthy at all. You sure. Know, taking it to weddings, Christmases, you know, like not being able to go out without it. Right. You weren't even um, existing. No, no. And you're trapped and... Um, so I one day got a phone call from my dad to say that my mum had gone missing and, um, I was working in London at the time I was living with my boyfriend at the time. And, you know, she, we, we know, we knew she'd been ill, you know, I wasn't living at home, but I'd been to see her and she'd lost a lot of weight and she was saying weird and wonderful things. And, you know, I do remember her getting to the stage where she couldn't even boil an egg. You know, she was wow. so sort of whacked with, I don't know, she just was lost her confidence and, so I got this phone call at work to say she'd gone missing. Um, and I sort of said to my dad, well, you know, what happened? And she'd gone to see a friend for lunch and she'd walked, but she'd never turned up. Mm. Um, and we knew where her friend lived. So, you know, I went home, I got my boyfriend. My boyfriend was on his day off. He was a paramedic. Um, and I do remember the look on his face was like, really? I'm on my day off. <laughs> but, but he knew that he needed to, you know, be with me. Sure. And so we picked up my sister and we drove about an hour to where my parents live in the suburbs and um, policeman in my living room and my policeman is clutching a suicide note. And he says to my dad, you know, has your mom ever done this before? And I say no. And my dad mm. says yes. Wow. And so that was the point where my paradigm totally shattered. Everything I thought to be my, my childhood was burst in that moment because outcomes 
all this stuff that I'd just never been told and I'd never known how she'd suffered with postnatal depression. They'd had a nurse for me when I was a baby because she was taken into hospital and my dad couldn't look after me. And, you know, all this stuff that was hidden, had never been shared, fell out, you know, in that conversation. And, you know, to say I was free falling, you know, was an understatement because it was kind of like, pinch me, is this like really happening? You know? It must have been so surreal, yeah. Totally surreal. That's exactly the word for it is surreal. Like, this isn't my life. You know, I just popped, something had popped and something had shifted. Um, but obviously at the same time, you know, I've got to go look for my mom. She's missing. So um, we... Well, she's missing, my, but with a suicide note left behind. Well, exactly, you know, and time is ticking. So um, we went to the back of my parents' house. So we knew where this friend lived and we kind of retraced her steps. And at the back of my parents' house is a very big expanse of woods. So you've got woods left and you've got woods right. And straight on is where she would have walked to get to the friend's house. But So we had the big hunch that she was in these woods somewhere. But you can go left and you can go right. And I still remember to this day, my sister screaming, where do we go? You know, which <laughs> way do we go? Um, and at that point was when I got a voice in my head say, turn right. Wow. And I said, right, we need to turn right. And she said, how do you know we turn right? And I said, I'm just being told to turn right. Yeah. Um, and I got just got massive, got chilled on the back of my neck. <laughs> I did too. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I actually, you know, I've really analyzed this, that moment for, since, because it's like, what happened? And I think, you know, we, we grow up and we're told and we have an idea and a model of the world, which, you know, our parents give us, society gives us, school gives us. And we kind of build this picture in our minds of how our world looks. And I think in that moment, everything shattered um, and enabled me to connect to something higher um, or someone or something higher. Um, you know, I was, my, never met my grandmother. She died before I was born. But she's always come through whenever I've done readings and you know so whether that was her shouting at me to turn right I sure. don't know but um the voice it's, led us um you know it's interesting it so that, that occasionally that sort of voice happens to me in the, the therapy room and I I I don't know some you know I don't know if it's spirits or ghosts or energy or um uh, then there's like the science part of me that's like, no, it's just our unconscious learning and, you know, like, un like stuff we're taking in unconsciously, not understand. I don't care what it is. It's helpful and it's moving and it's super powerful. So. Mm. Absolutely. Know. And, you know, and that, that without that voice, I w we wouldn't have found her. Oh yeah. So, so tell mm. me, I'm, and I apologize for interrupting. I just, it, it's, it's remarkable our ability to hear things differently at, at various points. Mm. Yeah. And they, I think, you know, there's, amazing kind of studies isn't there where people are given information exactly when they need it and superhuman yeah. feats and but for me um we were guided to where she'd overdosed and there was a river and basically she had taken a kind of mixture of pills and alcohol and sort of passed out on herself and luckily she'd sort of slumped on top of herself and not into the river. Right. She'd have fallen in the river, she'd have drowned, but she was kind of close enough, but not, luckily not in the river. Um, Do you so, think that was her purpose to drown or to go into the river? Like, was it her no, intent? No? Okay. No, I don't think so. Um, you know, she was a nurse. So this is, for me, was a cry for help. You know, I don't know. You know, luckily right. for us, she survived. Um, you know, we did the sternum rub, or um, that's my husband now, Dan, my boyfriend then, um, did the sternum rub. And I remember running because we were in the woods. So I had to call an ambulance and I had to run for the ambulance. And of course, I smoked, I drank, I was overweight. I just wasn't looking after myself. And, I, you know, I knew that something was off with myself. It wasn't completely stupid. Right. You know, I, I remember having this conversation with whoever I just connected to to kind of say, look, I will sort myself out. I'll do anything just to help me get out of this situation. You know, please help mum be okay. Um, um, and it was quite a pivotal moment for me, really, because it was kind of like a big wake-up call. Um, and, you know, luckily for us, she was okay. We got her to the hospital. She came round. She was incredibly apologetic when she came round. You know, could you forgive me? And, gosh, this last, of course we forgive you. You know, we just want you alive and with us. Yeah. As I'm sure you can relate. Yes, um, I can. I can, but you know, the thought that's echoing in my, or the thing that I was 
thinking is, um, has she attempted since? She, yes, she has. She, she relapsed in, so that was when she, she was 20, I was 28 and she must've been more in her 50s. And there's something called Saturn's return, which is, you know, an astrology term. And apparently when you're 28, you go from, or Saturn returns to your chart and it's like, um, it marks you going from childhood into adulthood. So you find a lot of people have quite pivotal moments or things happen around that 27 28 i got married at 28 i think yeah yeah perfect example and a lot of people have children at 28 it's like a sort of a landmark pushing you into this next phase of your life and apparently there's a second one so it returns to your chart a second time and so my mum and i had simultaneous saturn's returns and so when you have them later in life what happens is is it brings up anything you haven't dealt with or looked at for a second point yeah you to look at and deal with and of course in my mum's case you know she also was a product of that generation of not speaking her you know she was a she was a woman b she um hadn't been taught to feel or or process emotions and so obviously that was all the stuff that came up then and she was you know suffering with the menopause and there was a lot of changes in her life and she didn't quite know how to handle it um but in answer to your question yes she had a relapse when i was probably only a few years ago actually and she came to live with my husband and I and of course having cured my own depression and my own chronic illness I wanted to really help her and I'll be honest I learned a really valuable lesson through that whole process because you know the way I cured my depression was I started to have a different mindset around how it would had been caused and I I I now believe and teach and I've seen with people I work with obviously I'm not a psychiatrist I'm not doctor trained I'm a coach um, but I do have a psychology back degree Um, but what I believe is that we're energetic and we're energy and we can have stuck unprocessed emotions which you know in a very simple way they hold us down they literally weigh us down unless we process those emotions unless we feel them unless we deal with them they don't they don't they get stuck in our system um, you know, and if you are somebody like my mum had had a situation where her, both her parents died in the same year and mm. she had me that year as well. She was trying to cope with a baby. She hadn't grieved for her parents. You know, she didn't know how to grieve. She didn't know how to let this stuff out. And of course this backlog had grown and grown and grown until it kind of tipped her over. And it, it was a similar in, in my case where I'd had a massive backlog of emotions I hadn't processed. And, sure. Um, so when so she when came, she, yeah. She, yeah, when she came here, I wanted to take her through a process of what I would call emptying out, which is, you know, you can do that through journaling, just writing out your feelings and emotions. You can do it through Reiki, which is a really good way to process and alleviate stuck emotions. But, but you have to be wanting to do the journey. And I think, you know, being at the age of 65 that she was then, there was so much, so much stuff for her to deal with that I don't think she could get her head around it and um in the end we ended up going down the medication route because it was easier basically I I, by the way I am a proponent of medication because I have seen it um work it's not I am a proponent because I think it works and you know um which but I don't think it's it's mutually exclusive from this emptying out that you're talking about I asked you um, if she had attempted again because I had a real reaction to her apologize when you were talking about how your mm. mom woke up apologizing. And I don't know if my reaction is like, um, it's a, a bunch of things. It's like sadness. It's anger. It's um, uh, maybe even a little jealousy or envy that, that was, you know, um, when my, the first time I found out that my mother had ever attempted suicide was I was, home from um my first our first year at uh college university whatever and it was the summer and you know we were struggling because it's a time of struggle because parents you know like you've been living alone and now you're at your your parents house and um we were in some argument about something stupid and my mother said that um she yelled at me that she tried to kill herself and it was all my fault so um and there have been so many others since so that and um, so I'm jealous, you know, you got an apology. Um, I, I, I got blamed. And then she actually did the same thing to my brother when he was exactly the same age, like four years later. That's how he found out as well. So 
Um, and do you believe you choose your parents? Do I believe that you choose your parents? Oh God, no. Do you? Mm. Tell me, what does that even mean? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I believe that we, as souls, this is getting quite deep. That's okay. Yeah. As souls, we choose the parents that will give us the experience that we need to do work or to have the experience that we need in the world. So if I can shift your perspective on this. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. This is interesting. Yeah. If I can. So, so for me, I'll talk about me and see, and you can relate to this. So with my mom, we had this big history of mental health issues. And with my dad, we have alcoholism and a black and white thinking very, this is right, this is wrong, okay? Now, our generation, I believe every generation of souls evolves. And this generation, our generation, Lindsay, I think you're probably a bit younger than me, but we've come in to clear a lot of the stuff. Um, we've come in to make, you know, do, do a lot of the work. So if you look at your parents um, and you chose them because you chose them for the experience of what it is that you came in to, to work on that in this sense. lifetime and came in to clear So the thing, and this is where my work comes in, because if we get stuck in woe is me, and and rightly so, if we've had a shitty upbringing, shitty parents, you know, alcoholism, you name it, whatever, abuse, you know, it's so easy to get stuck in why me and why, why did this happen to me? Now, I take three people through a process in the, in my Dharma Life Academy where we not only help them tap into their unique gift and who, who they are and really why they came, but, but we help them get into, especially where there's been childhood abuse or trauma, is how is your mess your message? How have you come oh, through? I like that, yeah. So with me, you know, when I started to kind of understand how I'd come up, you know, how, I'd, how I had um, contributed to my own mental health issues, you know, whether it be the drinking, but I, my way of thinking was very negative. I was always looking at myself about what was wrong with me, what was wrong with me. So when I started to understand all of this stuff, I started to also realize there was a massive opportunity for me to educate others so they didn't have to go through what I had gone through. And I saw how my parents were the perfect parents, actually, for what I needed to experience and what I needed to learn and how I could serve and help other people. Now, you have to go through quite a bit. (laughs) And, you know, now you look at yours like that, they have given you such an insight that that you, and the brilliant thing about you, Lindsay, is you're taking it out to the world and you're doing something with it. Well, that's why it's interesting. (laughs) Like, that's why I, and again, you gave me chills again. Um, You know, it is a good way to look at it. I never, I don't don't think I ever looked at it as um, sort of woe is me or like, why did I get stuck with this? Because but I did cling to the idea that you don't choose your parents, you know, and that friends are the family you choose for yourself. Um, but I, 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 I've, um, as a result of, uh, like the book and all these other things I've connected with, um, a 20, she's probably 22 year old who's like lives across the country and she suffers with, you know, suicidal thoughts. And, um, she said to me, why, why can't I just catch a break? And I said, you don't catch breaks, you create opportunities. And, and you know, um, so similarly, I don't know. It's, um, I, I don't, I don't, it's a, it's a better, what you're saying is fascinating. And I'm almost unable to go from brain to mouth right now, which is <laughs> awful for a podcaster. But, <laughs> but I, I feel quite privileged that I've actually made, you know, I've stumped you. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's really like I, I podcaster author and I can't find words. Um, you know, I really like that idea and it's, it's very interesting. Um, and it's very meaningful. And it, it certainly, I think that on some, technically the reason I got into psychology is because this um, asshole professor told me that I shouldn't get into psychology because I would never do anything with it. And so I was like, well, fuck that. Um, so that's how I ended up, you know, starting in it. Um, but I also do believe, as you and I were discussing before we hit record, that like what I'm doing right now with trying to destigmatize mental health and prevent teen suicide and all this is um, 
you know, it is my message. I think it is my purpose. And I, but you're also breaking a family history and a line of something that's gone through your, your family probably for generations and generations and generations. So by the other thing that is happening is you're kind of, um, you're sharing your truth. Yes. You know, uh, and that's a fantastic way of clearing out all of the negativity and all of the stuff that's been hidden in your family. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, uh, we were talking, you and I were talking before, and I mentioned this guy, Cody Taggart, who is an amazing mental health advocate and um, about pr- probably six, seven, eight months ago, we, I brought him on the show because um, a child in my community, 15 year old, so that's a child, had just committed suicide. And I really wanted to talk about it. And my town was discussing the tragic accident rather than calling a spade a spade. And there are all sorts of reasons why that decision was made. But as the child of, you know, my parents, it just brought up all this shit in me. And I, I, it was almost like I, I needed to have um, someone else make it okay for me to talk about it. And so Cody came on and we were talking about it. And now I, I definitely have found my voice and it's, it's easier, um, you know, six months ago, I wasn't talking about my mother's, you know, suicide. And then I got to a point where, um, why am I keeping this a secret? Why is this my, you know? But also what you're doing as well, inadvertently, if we talk about this concept of everything is energy, you've yeah. got a huge, huge backlog of stuff that happened yeah. to you in your, in your life. You know, you've been through a lot with your mom, with your family, with everything. Now, this is a way to, for you to empty out. Right. Right. And it's a way for you to basically take, and it's brilliant because if you didn't empty all that stuff out, it would turn into anger. It would turn into frustration. It would, you know, it's lower level emotional motions that don't serve us, you know? And so my work, just to put it on top of this, because yeah. I think you're like this, right? Tell me, so, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> so where I've gone from is, is having the chronic health issues, but then going to is actually what happened for me is um, I, I was off my path. You know, there was things that, um, that I came here to do. And of course, I've gone through this process of now my mess is my message. And what I help others do is go through that same process. So they come to me that, you know, they might be lost, stuck, you know, they might be anxious, they might be depressed, they're just frustrated with life, and they know there's more to life, right? So what I talk about and what I do is explain to them that they're completely unique and everybody has a unique purpose in this world and refer back to the Vedas and we talk about Dharma and Dharma is a word used in the Vedas and the easiest way to describe the Vedas is the Indian Bible. Good. And they talk about the right path of action. So Dharma literally means the right path of action. And when you do your Dharma, you are happier, healthier, you live longer, you have a deep sense of unshakable inner peace. And how you access your dharma is the focal point or the central point between your passions, your unique gifts and talents, and some type of social need. So in your case, Mm. right, the social need comes from your background. So you're passionate about mental health because of what you've been through. Now, your passionate about it so you want to speak up about it but you're also uniquely gifted in it you've trained in this you know this is something that you know a lot about so your dharma is the focal point of that so what you're doing through your podcast through your book etc 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 is you're serving humanity with your journey with your message um i'm sure you've already experienced it but what the vedas talk about is when we are in alignment when we when we do the things that we're passionate about and when we um help humanity with with our journeys we 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 actually elevate ourselves we we go through life at a kind of higher vibrational level and state and when you are doing something you love you can do it and do it and do it because you're just driven by your story by your passion right but if you think about emotions so we talked about when when you're chronically depressed you're in a low level emotional vibrational state when you're in a passionate state when you're in a gratitude state you're in a high vibrational state and what tends to happen is when you're following your dharma you find the right people turn up 
Yes. You get, you yes. get synchronicities. It's because you're, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And so what I then do is I fill in all the blanks with this so people understand it a lot more because we're always being guided. We all have a sat-nav inside of us, but none of us have been taught to understand it. What did you call it? A stat? A stat? Sat-nav. Like, Satellite um, navigation. Okay. Yeah. Sat-nav inside us. You're like, so, so I, I can give you the tools to stay on that right path of action and create an most incredible life. And that's my work is because I've done it myself. I've seen, I'm doing it myself because it's an ongoing journey. Sure. And I've seen it, my life completely transform from 22 to where I am now. Um, and that's having the courage to speak your mind, to go after what you're passionate about and to really have trust and faith that you're supported in your work. Well. So, so I kind of re I take people and I get them to unlearn what society's told them, which is say, stay safe, you know, go to school, get a good job, get a good education and then feel like crap because you don't feel fulfilled at some stage. Right. Wake up call. But I actually take them through a process to say, right, this is what we're going to do here. We're going to get you on your soul's journey. And you came here to make a difference. Everybody did. If you're, if we're truly honest, like without, we're not, I'm not religious. I'm just, you know, having studied the Vedas, they talk about the fact that we are at a critical point in humanity's existence. And if you imagine there's only 13% of the planet who are engaged on a daily basis in what they're doing. So if, so if you imagine a, a machine with 13% of the parts working, it won't work very well. Right. Now that's what we've got on our planet because nobody, when you're in alignment with who you are doing what you're passionate about, you are serving humanity. You're making the world a better place. Just think of all the lives you're touching through your podcast, through your book. <clears throat> now, when we have a critical mass of people doing what you're doing, we will come up with the solutions to the problems we currently have on the planet. So my work is a consciousness shift. Okay. I think you're in a, I think you're a cult leader, but I'm all in now. I'm all in. <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of true crime obsessed is one of my favorite podcasts, CCO. And they've been talking about like cults lately. So I'm like, this is a cult. I want to start, I want to start up for it now. <laughs> You're welcome to join anytime. Oh, I, I'm in, I'm in, because I'm buying it's, it all. You know what? It's a cult to make the world a better place. Oh, my God. That's what, what every cult. cult leader says. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I do, though, but I, you know, I'm, I, I think what you're talking about is huge, and I, um, I guess I, maybe I'm a sucker for your cult, but I'm, I'm into it, and I, you're right. I feel everything you're saying, like, um, the, even just this book launch that's coming up, it's, uh, we got the it's an air and space museum, like a, you know, plane museum. It's a, there's a, it's called the cradle of aviation. And the reason we got this venue is because one of the guest writers that I used who I had to like beg and plea to, um, to be part of this book, her husband works there. And so we have this free venue and then someone showed Perfect up and offered of Dana, <laughs> right? I know, but it's crazy. You keep giving me the chills. <laughs> um, but you know, yeah. how nice is that to think? So you know, nice. it's such a, I think, I just find it so comforting. Um, and, and you know it inside because you know you're, you're fulfilled through what you're doing. Yeah. You know, and, and that's most people that eludes them in life. You yeah. Know, have, they're just going through the motions, you know. I'm either fulfilled or manic. I can't quite decide, but. Um, well, I can relate to that. You know, yeah. I, I, yeah, I love what I do so much. I, and I'll come out of this like, woohoo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I, I attribute that actually to being true to ourselves and being in alignment with what we're supposed to be doing because there's this energy. We're, we're tapping into ourselves. Almost. Right. And actually, I'll tell you that now you're going to think I'm really weird, but I'm quite enjoying it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I believe that when we do our dharma, we are in very close energetic alignment to who we are and how we came down. So we actually have more kind of life force energy we feel more alive and we look more alive. And like, and what I'm basing this on is I do run a transformational leadership organization, which yes, some people I, have called. <laughs> that's where I saw that and you're all wearing white. And I was like, that's no, we do not wear white. Now she's just playing. You are in the picture. There's a picture. Everyone's wearing oh, white. that was just in Morocco. Cause we were in Morocco. <laughs> it's not cause we wear those. I don't know if I'm relieved or disappointed. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's really interesting that you thought that though. I quite like that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> I didn't really think oh. it was a cult. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it did. The thought did occur to me because I've been like, you know, listening to this podcast, whatever. <laughs> now I've lost my point. But um, what was I going to say? I was going to say that you do run this transformational leadership group, and it is, and it's about putting people in. Oh, and I see people who are you know, in their 50s, 60s, 70s, who pass for like 30s, 40s, 50s. I think you know, that's Botox though. No, well, yes, but you, you, know, <laughs> you know when somebody, like I'll give you an example. I, my dad won't listen to this, so I'm safe. <laughs> that's why I can talk about anything I want to. <laughs> but, you know, my dad it is nearly 70, but he behaves, looks, and acts like he's nearly 70. Whereas I've got Another friend of mine who comes to the Transformation Leadership Organization without blowing my own trumpet or his trumpet, he has advised seven presidents in the wow. US, wow. advisor to seven US presidents. Hopefully not this and, one though, yeah. No, not this one. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but he, he advises around philanthropy. That's his, his role. And he, okay, he looks, he's a bit older, but he's sprightly as you come. He's got so much energy and it's because he's driven by his mission. Right. Right. So that's what I'm trying to get across is when you've got a purpose driving you something bigger than yourself, you know, whereas my dad, his mission is to, I don't know, play computer games, leave the uh, house once a week. My parents don't really have a mission. Uh, yeah. Once a week, maybe my mom maybe leaves once a week, but they don't really have a mission. It just is, it all centers around alcohol and not leaving my mother alone for too long. And so you'll see that they'll, you know, they'll respond to that and how in their energy they have, they have for life, basically. Yeah. I don't think she's interested much in life and it's sad, but you're, I do think it's because there is, you know, she does lack a purpose, my mother. And you're right. I think there's something, um, all right, where do I sign up for this cult? I, I'm into all of it. <laughs> um, well, come and do my program if you really want to. I'd love to have you. I would love to. Um, so uh, this has been so uh, wonderful, Eloise. I've learned so much. Um, you've given me the chills, which is probably going to creep me out. You're going to be in my head all day. You know that? I take that as a compliment. You should. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, where can people stalk you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I am on Instagram. So it's Eloise.life. And I'm also on Facebook. Um, but if you're interested in the program, because the other, you know, we didn't really even get into it, but I'm sorry. No, no. But I, I suppose what I just want to say is, you know, I also believe and have seen in my own life what that basically what you believe you create. So, you know, if you imagine going from chronic depression to now running, you know, I've got now I run a leadership organization, you know, I've got my program, you know, I, I've kind of completely transform things around and that's because my belief system I've completely changed it and I've stretched it um and so what we do in the Dharma Life Academy is we get you to create a, a compelling vision for your life in alignment with your Dharma interesting I don't mm. think I'm going to live past the book release because that is all that I <laughs> like March 20th is brought I'm sure I like die the 21st because that's, I can't see past it right now but um but it's interesting but I, it's important that you have a vision right because if, if, if we're talking about everything is energy and it's important. Most people don't know what they want in life. So I believe that we're like radios. We've got to tune ourselves up yeah. and work out what we want. Now, you need to know what you want, not how you're going to get it. Right. Um, well, okay. So I do have a vision. It's to, you know, for my next book um, that I'm writing on, you know, teen, it's for teenagers and their parents on suicide. Um, so what we would do is we would take that vision and we'd multiply it and we'd stretch you and we'd say, how many people do you want to influence? How many people do you want to impact? What's the next step? You know, interesting. How, what's your family life look like? How much money are you earning? Like, let's really, how do you get financial freedom? You know, let's kind of really stretch you and what you believe is possible. Um, and then we hold you accountable on a kind of monthly basis, gently, but so you're continually taking movement forward and so give you an example i've got um one of my guys who came to me and he was working in a corporate um always wanted to be an artist told he wasn't good enough at school got back into art um through doing our program kind of got the belief that he could make it a career he manifested his redundancy walked out with like 60 grand in his pocket 
now he's um, basically become a full-time artist. He just had his first exhibition at a top London um, gallery. And we created this vision for him as a million pound portrait artist, but his art's serving and helping. That's great. Um, but what we've done is we've stretched his belief about what, he's possi- what is possible. And so now his paintings are about £3,000 per painting. Well, yeah. Uh, this is brilliant. I, I, I would like £3,000 or 60, <laughs> 60 grand, whatever it is. I, I could handle that right now. Maybe I could get a new doorbell that people can see. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is very interesting. Um, I cannot wait to find out more about you and now you're stuck with me for life so yeah um, come enjoy come and join us and um yeah we have a podcast so you're welcome to go and listen to that and oh yeah the there. name of the podcast dharma life podcast on itunes on spotify yeah and all the other random ones that people don't actually listen to yeah i, I, I don't even know where thing. it goes yeah <laughs> thank you so much eloise this has been fantastic no love, lovely i'm always a pleasure with you Lindsay. always good yeah. Thanks for listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. If you like what you hear, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, shout from rooftops, smoke signals, hot air balloons, whatever. I'll take any of it. Uh, And if you really like what you're listening, why don't you become a patron? Join our Patreon. Visit us at patreon.com backslash neurotic nourishment. Thanks. Thanks.